Welcome to The Way of Product. I'm your host, Caden Damiano, and this podcast is for product professionals who eventually want to run their own product org one day. The average tenure of a product leader is two years, two years, because they fail to make an impact with their teams. I want to figure out how the best product teams and creative technologists tick with the goal of putting it all into a book. And I want to document the progress and behind the scenes with you as I write it in the coming years. Do you want to get the book for free? Then jump over to wayofproduct.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and I'll send you a draft of the book's introduction in a public Google Doc. So if you've benefited from the show in any way, if you enjoy your work more, you got unblocked from limiting belief, go to wayofproduct.com, show some love, and join the newsletter crew. I appreciate it, and I promise to continue to make the show and newsletter more and more valuable as the years go on. Now, let's get back to the good stuff. Thanks for hanging out. Hey, listener, I have a really interesting guest on the show. Personally, for me, as I've been moving forward in my career, my role, my day-to-day roles have become more and more complex, and the activities are a lot more varied the higher up you go as an individual contributor. Quite frankly, I'm confused. I'm doing a lot of things besides making screens for software. I'm working with operations leaders more, and so... What better person to talk to than Larry Chang from Intuit? He currently is on their research and insights team as a strategist. And before that, led the initiative for the QuickBooks card reader product, which is hardware product over at Intuit. And I wanted to pick his brain on what is a design strategist? What is a staff designer because I'm not really sure what that means for me as I'm moving forward in my career. So this is definitely one of those advice type podcasts. And I think to get started, Larry, welcome to the show. Could you introduce yourself to the listener briefly and just tell us how you got to where you're at today? Yeah, thanks. Great to be here. And I hope to live up to your description of me. So I'm Larry Chang, kind of everything you said. I've been into it almost five years. And actually, interesting enough, I'm a what we call a boomerang. I wasn't into it before for three and a half years, went to go chase a shiny object and then came back. Yeah. So my, my deep background is actually in mechanical engineering. And I got onto the path on being a designer up through product engineering and then product design, physical product, and uh, somewhere in there made a pivot to joining into it, which is obviously a software company through, through design capabilities, design thinking, thinking about what design strategy is and what it takes to be a designer in different fields. I think that's where I come to it from. For the last year or so, I've been, yeah, as you said, I'm on the design, the design research team, design research and insights team, where I'm, I guess, like semi-formally a research strategist. But through my career, I've kind of got to experience many different aspects of design from, yeah, from like designing product to thinking about design capabilities, to just like you said, doing complex, varied, and confused, confusing kind of work, like among different stakeholders and stuff like that, not just with designers, very much not just with designers and trying to figure out, yeah, what is, what is design strategy and kind of what's, what should be the role of a, a senior level IC in the design field? Yeah. So I think that's a great place to start. Maybe pulling from your own experiences, because you mentioned that you worked on the QuickBooks card reader, and I'm using your LinkedIn to tell that story of online hardware design lead, design strategist. And I could see that like you you iterated on your title since the last time I looked. I iterate on my titles <laughs> yeah. all the time. Because Oh, good. Not last, just me. <laughs> yeah. Like last month, uh, I was a service designer, but now I'm doing architecture work. And now I'm doing just whatever the organization needs, because I... I think for me, it's like, I'm realizing like not every problem needs a screen. Not every problem needs a research project. Sometimes it requires like architecture problems to be solved. And so I guess what's the difference between that project of making something like the card reader and your day-to-day on the research and insights team? That's a good question. Yeah. Those are, those are very different lines of work. I would say like in a way, it's kind of this, the, what you just said about as uh, as you start to get more experience as a designer, start to build up your different skill sets and have the ability to figure out, okay, I, I 
I know what we need to do here and that's different what we need to, than what we need to do there. And as you become like more experienced, you have more of those kind of tools to choose from. The So I would say like in both cases, I've been kind of an individual contributor, staff designer, design strategist in the sense that it's about what's what do you need to be able to do to like address this particular challenge. And so for the hardware project, because my deep background is in hardware, many years in from kitchen gadgets to furniture and stuff like that. When that opportunity came up, it was like, hey, this is a great match. Larry has a deep experience in hardware, Intuit doesn't, but we need someone to, as a designer, own own the product from a design point of view outside of our kind of regular skill set and know when to, like, how to work with the digital designers that we have doing the, the kind of the app side of of the product, but also know how to work with plastic molding manufacturers and hardware design and industrial design. So in that sense, it was like, on one hand, it was just like a great serendipity of that opportunity being available and like me having the experience to do that. We got lucky as well. The product manager had recently come out of a hardware startup. So he, a couple of, of us with experience in that field, but able to figure out Okay, what do we need to do as a small team to work with outside agencies in this case and inside inside teams as well to make this successful? And in a sense, like you were saying, that like the like not being limited by like organizational boundaries or our roles and saying, oh, I can only do this because I'm a designer. You can only do that because you're a product manager. And in this case, things were so different than the norm that we were able to work out what we needed to do, what we needed to get our partners to do, what we needed from the organization internally and things like that. Flip that over to the research side now. So the way, so Intuit's a, a big company. We've got hundreds and hundreds of designers just to give you a sense of scale. The way research is organized within the business unit that I'm in, small business and self-employed group, which is basically the QuickBooks franchise of, of products. The way research is, is organized. We've got market researchers that are report into the marketing organization and are more aligned with the, the kind of research that understands the market, a lot of qualitative stuff, or sorry, quantitative stuff. And then I'm part of the design research and insights team, which is more aligned with and reports into the design team. So there are about less than 20 of us altogether in the team spread out among the hundreds of designers working in in our different products and stuff like that. So we, we have early career researchers all the way up to research managers and a, a director who runs the whole group. So the role of a strategist within that is is different than what it was for leading us an independent hardware development project. In this case, it's more about a little bit of being connecting across different different areas where research is being done, leaning on my experience with Intuit and who I know in different groups and stuff like that. And what I know about the past of different areas to try to tie things together and make things, make things stronger. Sometimes I, I talk about what I do like in the day-to-day is like secondary research, right? We have great researchers that are working on what do we know right now, or what are we learning right now about this customer or about that kind of what's changing in this area. And I'm tying it together in ways of like, how does this connect to what we know about other customers? What is marketing doing in their research to try to, to try to bring together a holistic, ideally a, a single point of view about a customer that it's not just like one customer, but like an aligned point of view that this is why we know different things about the customer in different places. So a much more of an internal role an external role. Yeah. So it's almost for the, on the research side, like your job is to like take all the inputs and synthesize it into a whole list, like one artifact of this is what our perception is. Kind yes. Yeah. Kind of that. And I'm waffling a little bit because like the one concrete thing that I'm working on is like a con, like a internal tool, which is meant to be something like that. An internal right? tool. But at the same time, knowing that like it's, that's an, that's a, this is a design strategy thing, right? That's an ideal state. Like I, I have a kind of a, a pocket vision for what this thing should do. And it should be to align us all around this single point of view. But the day-to-day work is right building towards that understanding what's current here, 
what's outdated there, pulling yeah. those things together. Would you say that your deliverable is like providing clarity and alignment across a bunch of different players? Yeah, in the sense, but not by creating it myself, right? Yeah. In the, in, in the sense that not declaring like, this is Larry's point of view and this is what we all have to get behind. It's, it's more, it's much more like collaborative, right? And understanding, okay, this team thinks about it this way. This is their framework for how they think about the customer. And this team thinks about it this way. Are they aligned and are they in conflict? Are they looking at different things? And how do we, like, how do we pull that together? What's the right way to pull it together in terms of, oh, okay, in this particular case, this is why these two businesses needed to be thinking about their customer differently because they're looking at customer problems that are so different that factors that they're looking at are different. Whereas in this other case, here's a chance for, for us to align around what's important about this customer because we're slightly off between each other, between the teams. But if we can get the teams to start speaking each other's language, then they can start to kind of get to a common understanding. Yeah, that's in- yeah, that's interesting. It's like it's more like you're you facilitate the work to get to a common understanding than a bit. Yeah, I'm thinking. I was listening to one of your your other podcasts, talking with a, a research guy about what I don't think you guys put it exactly Varun? this way, but when yes, Varun, talking about like the outputs of research and in in a way when you can get your stakeholder to say what you mean to say, then you know you've got alignment, right? So it's like that, like similar kind of thing yeah it's like you don't it's almost it's like a game of inception right where you don't want to tell them this is how you're supposed to think (laughs) but you're supposed to take them along because you are closest like practically you are the you are closer to the customer than a lot of these stakeholders but you don't want to say you're wrong this i think about it's like you want to there are these podcasts which i think is really great for like product thinking is he had a guest on, I forgot who it was, it was like this VP product. And he was saying like, Hey, how do you like make change in an organization? You can, let's say like there's an elephant in the elephant's rider. You can motivate the rider to drive the elephant better, or you could whip the elephant, but you don't know where the elephant's going to go when you make him angry. <laughs> and he's like, or you can, you could up change the path that they're on. And then that will influence where the elephant and the rider go. And I think of like elephants and riders as like departments or teams or squads or whatever, like scope of work that you're impacting. And I've noticed, I'm like, oh, if I just like control where the, like the collaboration happens, like I set up the working sessions, I set up the prompts for the exercises. Yeah. I give them like, hey, we're creating a service blueprint. This is the artifact. And you give them like the rules of engagement. It's a little bit easier to influence their perspective when they're filling out some kind of like design thinking exercise or something like that yeah because you're taking them halfway there you're relying on the knowledge you have of like what kind of where they're what they're coming in with or where they're coming in from and you have an idea of okay if i lead them if i set the conditions up right so that we're yeah like you you're having the right kind of conversation with them. You're asking the, the right questions, getting them to think in the way, getting them to think creatively versus protecting their turf, for instance, that you have an idea of what you think they're going to, where they're going to go with that. Yeah. It's like a delicate balance of, yeah. and it's not even like pr- promoting like my point of view, like my point of view could change at the end of the exercise. The idea is that yeah. just having like a structured problem solving exercise to make sure that everyone's trying to come to at least like the same deliverable, even if it's a different conclusion or the same one. And like, I wonder, <laughs> I just wonder sometimes if I'm like, Oh, a staff designer is just someone that depends, right. Is some staff designers because some staff designers is really good at the craft. Right. So I can't discount uh, yeah. those people, but there are designers that are like really good at like process and design thinking and that's yeah. the contribution is like knowing which methodologies to use to help make sense of a mess. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say that's, and I think I mentioned it to you earlier or before we started my, my formal title is design strategist, but, but because at Intuit, we use that as a level, not a competency, which becomes confusing because what you just said, right? Like at that high level there, there are people who are 
craft experts and that's that's their bag that's what they really get joy out of hey i'm i really love being up to date on what the current visual design trends are and how they apply to our stuff and that's one one version of a staff designer or there's like a creative director type staff designer and then there's the one who's i have a back i know my design craft but i know also what's strategic about making decisions for the product or for the design and some of it is like how do you set those conversations up right so that people are thinking you know right like the way a designer would or approaching problems with that with those kinds of tools and mindsets to be able to get to like good outcomes and that's a different kind of yeah high level ic yeah and so it's like the title just doesn't do you justice because it it stops being about competency at that level and it's more about like your specific specialty like your per- i guess like you, the kind of like the arc archetype that you hit like a like at staff level it's yeah. really good at facilitation really good at craft a pme like designer that yeah yeah and there's different ones within our our team of several hundred designers there are about less than a dozen of us at that kind of high ic level we're actually kind of going through we've decided we need to bootstrap like how we define our role and one of one of the things is that exactly this kind of thinking about all we have we're all ic4 design strategist titles but we're all different is that good or bad is there an expectation that we're all the same and the, the bad analogy i've been using is like we're like the justice league right the justice league isn't 10 wonder womans or 10 batmans right like that wouldn't be that wouldn't be the justice league that that would be a different thing right like the the power of having a lot of us or more of us is that we should be different in what kind of staff designer or design strategist we are because we we've come up through different paths we have different things that we're experts at and different things that we really enjoy about the role so we should think of that as a positive right we can't all be good at everything but we can know what we're good at and know where we can lean on our case other kind of ICs at that level to, to be good at. Yeah. And I think, I mean, I do feel there needs to be a title, one-on-one title to competency match. What I did see at Airbnb is they like made a job title for experience architect, which is more of a, it's a design strategist, but like the name implies mm-hmm. the func- implies the function. And I read the job description and it was doing mm-hmm. research facilitating work between a bunch of different departments, working with PMs to coordinate how the digital product works with the operational experience of Airbnb. And I'm like, okay, like that's more clear. But the problem is, it's like, like you said, like in the industry that like we're hiring a staff designer and then you figure out if there's fit during the interview process. Yeah. What kind of staff designer are you hiring? Yeah. Are you hiring someone who's more like that architect or are you hiring like a creative director or yeah, are you exactly. hiring just someone who's really good and is going to churn stuff out and just loves to do that kind of thing? Yeah. It's like there's staff designers that I've heard, like the definition is someone that could just be airdropped into any business unit and crank good work out. And then there's like ones that you give them a marker and a whiteboard and they bring people together and they generate clarity and alignment through design thinking activities. Like I, yeah. And I guess like you just have to go through the interview process, which doesn't sound like fun. I wish that the, the job description was more clear, but I don't know. Yeah. So I can mention here. So I, I've been starting to read a book called the staff engineers path, which was recommended to me by, by a friend who's on the engineering side. Um, and it's been really interesting because the, you have to keep substituting engineer engineering for design, but a lot of the questions are the same. Right? Kind of like, what's the role? What are the different like? What are the different roles and responsibilities of someone who's a high level individual contributor type leader versus a, a manager or director and stuff like that? And it's interesting because like the con- the content is different because they're talking about quality of code versus knowing what good design looks like, but the, but the kinds of discussions about what's the role are very similar, right? And that they're right. There's ones that are very good at the craft, but you, it's, it'd be a waste of time if that's all you did, right? Like you, you'd have a very great impact on the thing that you were working on, but the breadth of your impact would be 
very narrow, right? If you were put on one project and just did the, did really great design just for one thing. And at the same time, if you're spread too thin, that's also not a great impact, right? And that as a staff engineer, you have to similarly figure out which, which of these different types of skills are you good at and want to be good at and which are you not so good at and how do you, do you figure out what's a good path or what's a good combination of those things for you? combination of those kind of leadership type skills with that craft expertise that you have. So it's been, it's been like cool to read just to get a sense of, oh, okay, we're not alone. It's not just, it's just not just designer types that are having this problem, figuring out what does it mean at this high level of contributor that even engineers have need guidance to figure it out. Oh no, that's not good news. I thought there was a concrete answer. That's the takeaway from <laughs> the book is like it depends that's is that yeah. the answer it's yeah yeah the, the answer is you have to buy the book i think yeah yeah you have to buy the book the path of a staff engineer that's it yeah the staff, what is it called the staff engineer's path something like that yeah that's interesting yeah i'll definitely check that out because like sometimes i'm just like oh trying not to confuse my boss with what i want to do and i'm like ah one day i'm just like ah you know what let's work towards staff designer because you can fit anything in that. It just means someone that's impacting like strategic initiative, meaning like, how are we going to allocate resources towards a problem from a design lens? That's proficiency there. Like your contribution to make sure that like the craft is like to a certain point or that design resourcing and product management's not over committing resources. Like that is basically like when you're staff level and, but I would think that that would mean you wouldn't be a traditional squad at that level because then that wouldn't be productive to just be like a high, like a higher paid IC on one squad. So would you be working with multiple PMs usually on projects like that? Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. Like, And I, how big is your, like, how big is your design organization? Oh, it's really small. I think the biggest I've been on is like 20. Right now it's less than that. It's like 10. That's like average. That's actually a pretty common size for most companies. Okay. I've noticed. That's good to know. Yeah. Right. In, into it's a corporation, right? That's a, it's got, well, I can't remember, thousand ish employees worldwide. So it's a different type of problem. But yeah, in terms of, I think the analog there is like you're saying you'd be working across different PMs here at Intuit. It's, similar i'm working across different business units with different design leaders and different many different teams versus versus focusing on one specific area or team so multiple design leaders how many design teams were involved in the quickbooks online hardware design like project yeah so that that was a different yeah that, that's a different one because it, a lot of it like all of the hardware stuff was done externally so Designed so by, by manage, contract. You had to manage that team. And then internally, like, what, how were you integrating that into QuickBooks? Like, how many teams were required? Yeah. So, the bit, like, the way it's organized, like, the business unit that, go, that goes into is the uh, QuickBooks money team. Like, the, they have responsible, responsibility for kind of basically money related, payment related things. But within that, so that's the overall team. So at the time I reported into the director of design for that team, there were, I want to say maybe 40 ish designers on that team spread out among a dozen PMs or so I'm guessing, but I didn't work with all of them for like, I, I worked with mainly like a couple of teams that were working on our mobile, our mobile payments products called quick, sorry, called go payments. So that, that was the main kind of internal team I was working on. So one, one design leader there, but also a PM who's reporting into his PM leadership and then engineering team reporting into their engineering leadership as well. And then externally, industrial design, engineering, things like that. Okay. That sounds about right for like a big initiative. There, How many designers, like IC designers, do you feel like were like needed to execute this? Like under that design leader or those two design leaders on the software side. Yeah, we had, so it was like a, a couple of, let's see, like there was one like kind of designer owner who, who owned the product 
the, from a design point of view. There's also like a, a visual designer who worked with her and works with the money team. We pulled in like a, a motion designer because we had, it was cool, like a motion designer, straight up digital background, doing all kinds of like great, like digital stuff. On our card reader, we have this like super old school LED display. I can't remember now, but it's six LEDs by 18 LEDs or something like that, like a dot matrix display. And we wanted to animate that for different kind of parts to show payment as processing or to how do you show numbers coming up and stuff like that. So we worked with a, a motion designer work, who's used to working in digital and had the challenge of like, okay, this is going to go on like basically a dot matrix display. Are we going to, are we going to design for that? So that, that was fun as well. And yeah, so that it was a pretty small team in that sense. Also because the, this might be part of working in a big company. We're working with legacy product, right? It, we, we didn't develop a mobile payments app from scratch for that. It was the, it's a existing like existing app and what needs to be changed, what can be changed along with releasing the new hardware. Okay. And so what were your deliverables? Was it just like memos outlining like memos to the org? Of, this is what we're working on. I met with the design leadership. We did like a, an exercise to figure out like how the system would work with the reader or something like that. Or we made like storyboards kind of showing how the experience could work using the reader. Like what's the hard stuff oh. that you produce in that role? Yeah. So in that role, my responsibility was basically for, to get that product to market for definitely from a hardware side and working with the software team to make sure that when the hardware went to market, the software was released as well. So yeah, like literally my, de my deliverable was are people ordering these from our commerce site? How many are going out the door? Do they, uh -huh. do they work? Yeah. So in that sense, it was like, and I still consider it design strategy because like the thing that I, I that I, the way I talk about what I was looking for, trying to control was, con was design intent, right? What was, what were we trying to do? And what are the different ways we're trying to get there? And as, as real life happens and things change, how are we making sure that we're maintaining the intent of what we did, even if some of the details need to change, right? So on the software side, that's your more, more typical, okay, what's the release plan? What's, what are we able to put out now? What do we need to wait till the next revision and things like that? Or what, what goes by the wayside, prioritizing things like that. Now the hardware side kind of simple similar types of things, but hardware has its, has a much different kind of development cycle, right? Certain things where if you make a decision not to have X in the product, you'll never have X in the product. You can't go back and add it, that kind of thing. But one of the fun things was like, just to make sure that from a, for a, for the business organization, who's so used to software release cycles to make sure that we understood that there's in hardware, there's no such thing as an MVP, right? Like either, either you build it and you release it or you don't build it and you don't release it. And similarly, like if you spend 80% of the money, you don't get 80% of the product. You get 0% of the product, right? Like if nothing goes out the door, if you stop funding it before it goes out the door, you may have spent most of your money, but you will still have nothing. So that, so which is calls for different, slightly different types of decision-making or decision-making at different parts in the process in terms of, are we going to invest the effort to make this thing super great or is this something that is not gonna that we can't invest the money in okay yeah that's interesting so it's almost like you're designing the design direction of hey this interaction design is great but it doesn't match like like our vision and so it's almost like you're rev you're reviewing design directions and providing clarity on like why we should go a certain direction or not yeah more more on in that case more on the hardware side but like working with the software team to do that as well. Yeah. What capabilities does this like un unlock, for instance, that's new? Like, for instance, there is a thing that hasn't been done before with these card readers of being able to tip like directly on the card reader. You can press a couple of buttons on the card reader and, and enter a tip. So that means there's a certain different kind of flow on the app in terms of like, how do you take tips or how do you What's the different interaction between the app and the physical piece of hardware now? Because like we've all done this, right? Like 
you're at the farmer's market or somewhere where they've got the mobile app. And then at some point they give you the phone because you need to sign your name or put a tip down or something like that, right? So if you don't have to do that, that changes like what you need to do on the app or what you can do or don't have to do on the app. So yeah, so there'd be a little bit of, okay, if the hardware is gonna do this, then that changes the flow on the software or that affects what the flow needs to be on the software. And fortunately, the, the designer who led this, the software part of it was, she was on top of it and had those all laid out. So it was like, like looking overall at, okay, how does that interact with the, what the physical stuff is doing? And sometimes there were, there were like engineering trade-offs. Like, okay, it would be great if the app did this and then the hardware did that. But here's why it's not possible from an engineering point of view. The system now, how do we think about what we want to do instead or things like that? So I guess then if you're like working with like a senior designer that that's in charge of the digital flows for the tip flow or something like that. Yeah. So your interactions with her would be more like, since you're a lot, you're, you have a lot more space to see higher, like you're higher up like visually, like working with the different stakeholders that, you, so like in those interactions, you're not telling her how to design it. You're just providing your perspective from a different point of view that gives her like what the kind of like the constraints that she needs to understand to go execute on her own. Yeah. Is that, kind, that kind of how it works? Yeah. Yeah. Because I, I like in my day to day on that, I was deeper in the weeds with the electrical engineers and, and the hardware folks. So I, yeah, so I understood more of like the constraints there, which like right from a design leadership point of view, it's, do you, do you list all the constraints up front and then hand them off? Here's a bunch of stuff you can't do, or like what, I think it worked better for us to have that designer kind of design, hey, design the flow you think it should be, right? Don't worry about don't worry about technical constraints. As we hit those, then let's talk about. Oh, okay. Here's why this would be hard to. Yeah, maybe we like. And you're very aware of the constraints because you've like gotten the problem space. You've established like tact with the problem space, and then you could say, or here's the constraint. So like at work for me, it's right now. I think this is actually pretty relatable for most companies. A lot of like our product experiences are are very tied to a customer Salesforce account because it's, it's a very B2B company, mm -hmm. right? And so like we align like the product experience with what's in the Salesforce account. And so that requires like an account merge process with the product, the pro the platform and making sure that's hooked up to the Salesforce account because a lot of our sales cycles are like sales team driven and then figuring mm -hmm. out how to like, how to reconcile like this product experience with them talking to a salesperson up front because I work in agriculture. It's a very undisrupted industry. It's all about relationships. Cool. Uh, uh, yeah, it's an essential problem. And we had a meeting and this is where I, what you said makes me feel a little bit better about like, that we're on the right, I was, I was on the right track of what my role was because I wasn't doing the actual design work, but we were like mocking up like a vision, like some like wire flows, which kind of show like a potential like path forward. And they're like, can we make the account here? And it's okay. Whenever, like you can make the account. I just told them you can make the account whenever a Salesforce account for this person exists. And that's as early as you can do it. Now go to, now go design. And that's, that's why I felt like, oh, yeah. I did my job. Yeah. You set up. Yeah. Here's the, here's the constraint. Yeah. But not how, but not telling them how to deal with it. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's like well, this needs to be addressed. You, you need no matter what. I don't care what you do. You have to merge to the Salesforce account. You need to figure out a, like a, a crisp way to do it. Is a password reset link like an operational process that like they send like an invite link to set up their company, and then like in the back end, that's when we're doing the merge. Or from an architecture perspective, I work with. I'm partnered with like, a software architect. It's oh, I guess we need to actually like in the system memorialize an actual like company. So that we don't have to do this, like in the first place. So there's, oh, okay, there's possible solutions. Then you consider like time constraints, resource constraints, leadership's promise to the board of directors. Okay, yeah. well, 
this is like the constraint that we have to prioritize. Like, I feel like that's what I'm doing. I'm prioritizing constraints as a design strategist. And so, yeah, no, because to me, that's part of the design process, right? Yeah. It's a part that overlaps what other roles do, depending on what a product manager does or in your team or what, a, what an engineer, it could, it could definitely overlap. But to me, and especially like as you become a higher level kind of designer, like you, you have more permission to like demand a bit of ownership of that, right? Of, hey, if we're going to build a product and that product is going to be the best it's going to be for the customers, I need to understand like how much of this I can impact because it's des you're designing the product. You're not just designing the screens, right? You're designing stuff that may affect what the customer sees on the screens, but the customer's experience doesn't, it's not just where the screens start and stop. And so as as a designer, as you see more of those things affect how, what kind of affect that in, intent or affect your ability to do what you want farther downstream, it's to me, it's, yeah, those are conversations I want to be in. E even if at the end of the day, it's okay, I've reached the end of my understanding or I understand there, there are more important things that you guys needed to decide between, and this isn't the highest this isn't the top factor in making decision between A and B, but, but I need to understand why that is enough to be able to say, okay, we know from a design perspective, B would have been better. I understand why you chose A. We'll work with A. And then it also helps as a designer to be able to take that back to your team and say that, right? Hey, we all know B would have been better than A from a design perspective or from the user experience perspective. Here's why we can't do it. Let's work with this constraint. Yeah. And I think like when working with like PMs, right, you're basically like sweating the, like literally like the design strategy is you're like considering potential interaction designs, potential information architectures. It's almost like you're iterating on the stuff, the unseen stuff, right? So what about this taxonomy? What about this taxonomy? Okay. This is why we should do this taxonomy. This impacts, like this creates this is doing this taxonomy is dependent on the architecture team updating the data table structure. And then you go to the PM and say, Hey, I don't care how you prioritize this as long as like you realize that they need th these designers need time to build out this information architecture. And, and then in this type of experience, we need this other team to build out how they're going to hook up to like customer accounts. And these flows, like just from our perspective, are going to take this amount of time like, as an estimate. Just in our experience of building this kind of experience, I don't know. I don't care how you like build out your roadmap. If you mm -hmm. don't prioritize this, we won't be able to deliver this experience by this date, or something like that. Is that yeah. kind of like a how you a conversation with the PM would go? Or yeah, I could I can imagine that, right? Yeah, yeah. right. And it, and it depends on everybody's roles and stuff like that but yeah like you're asking you're trying to set you're trying to set up the design to be as as good as possible right and, and the design team to be as, as successful as possible hmm. and that's yeah right that's the that's part of that str strategic work figuring out what are those things that yeah hey the, I'll, for this to, to go the best way possible these are the capabilities we need and this is when we need them and, and stuff like that. Yeah. I was just thinking like kind of an equivalent to hardware is there's plastic parts. You can make plastic parts several different ways, right? At the end of the day, the customer is not going to care that you made the plastic part this way versus that way, right? Yeah. They're, all they're going to see is the surface of the part. And because you want, because you don't want to have a sharp edge on this thing, you can't have a tool that splits here to sharp edge, which means that you need to do X, Y, and Z, which means engineering needs to think of it this way versus this other way. And on the one hand, it's, that's not the customer's experience. Why does it matter? On the other hand, it's like strategically what's going to set the product and what needs to happen to set the product up for its best chance of meeting your kind of design goals or your design intent. And so, yeah, that should be part of the conversation as a designer. And it, it does impact the customer experience, right? Because it's, yeah, oh, yeah. hardware is hardware's great. Like when I read any, I'm a big fan of James Dyson. And when I read his books and how he talks about which polymers he wants to use, or like the plastic, like canister for like the initial, the original like vacuum, he's just, 
I want to use yeah. like this polymer because it's stronger. And then it's going to create the customer experience goal of feeling more reliable. Right. Yeah. Yeah, like, exactly. And that's, yeah. You can, if you can tie it into, this is what it's going to do for the customer experience. That's, mm -hmm. that's, uh, that's design and being very generous with the definition of design. But I think that's what, yeah, like strategically having, inserting yourself and in, yourself into those kinds of conversations where it's, where it's like, okay, I think this is part of what I want to, to know to make the best design. Yeah. Like I, that, that's interesting. It's, it's like a kernel of an idea now for me, but I'm like, oh, like maybe a design strategist. Cause sometimes you're just like, oh, like when you're doing like design strategy stuff, I, sometimes you're just like told, oh, why don't you just be a PM? If you're just prioritizing features and I'm like, no, I think what a, like a staff designer is really prioritizing is, oh, which execution of a feature is more important rather what design direction is more important rather than which feature is more important. Like the PM should tell us like, hey, this is what the system should afford. This is what the system, like what's like with the, I think like the online hardware, like the card reader, it's, it, we should be able to pull credit card data from a card. We can do it contactlessly or have them insert it into the card reader. The PM should be able to like define those are the requirements of what this thing needs to do. And then you're going to the hardware team and you're saying like, okay, what kind of, like how heavy is it going to be? Like what materials are we going to use? And yeah, no, it's, a, I'll even use that ex example. I've been remiss as, as well in calling out like the industrial design team who did yeah. most of the, 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 all of the heavy lifting for like, uh -huh. the actual kind of design, yeah. uh, design and concepts on that. Their firm out of San Francisco called Box Clever. Ooh. But like, like, Using that example, right? One of the one of the kind of like design decisions that we made early on with Box Clever was we're this card reader is not going to have the ability to do the old the super old fashioned like swipe like the mag, mag stripe on the back of the card, and that was a des design decision, right? Not a functionality decision in terms of you were trying to make sure this was the most that it could use any card that the customer had in their pocket. Then you might say well, there's three different main ways of doing card reading. You, you can swipe it, you can do the chip, or you can tap it in the, the contact list. Let's have all three. And you see a lot of card readers out there that, that have all three, right? And, and they're functional. On the other side of that, from a design perspective was like, hey, there's a couple of things from a design perspective that we can pursue. One is, this is this is meant to be a, a mobile to put in your pocket, like the, our kind of like customer is a, like a mobile service business of so someone who comes out to install your blinds, for instance, right? So it's going to be in the truck. It's going to be in their, their pocket or their work bag or their purse. So we want this to be super like very pocketable, not, not something that you have to hold in your hand as you're trying to hold your other stuff. We want it to also represent our brand as forward facing and, and modern. We can do those things if we take out the swipe card reader because from a hardware point of view it takes out a whole bunch of like bits and pieces inside so there was a like from a design point of view then that becomes this interesting strategic question right that i guess if it wasn't strategic it might be like hey here's our circuit boards with all three sets of hardware on it can you design a nice case around it that's product requirement first and then you make it as good as you can versus okay as a as design, let's strategically challenge that assumption of we have to have all three of these. And here's reasons why we think we should just have the two most modern ones. And right, like we, from a design point of view, we were able to successfully make that decision. Here's Influence several the reasons. Requirement. Why, yeah, exactly. In order to, and it, it wasn't just hey, let's let's just make it thinner. <laughs> But being able to strategically understand, like, okay, how is this going to help the customer? How is this going to help what we're trying to do from a brand perception and kind of design perception standpoint? And right, be able to, to put that up against a, a kind of a functional requirement. There's other ones where we didn't end up going the way that design wanted to go. But Yeah, but it was a good reason why you didn't. And yeah. That's choosing like design, like strategies, choosing what not to do with like unlimited yeah. options. And then I guess like on the software side, it's okay. I think like a great example is 
like audio editing software, right? It's like you could go the traditional timeline interaction design and then use the metaphor of because you it's like it's a it's paying homage to editing like actual like film tape and using the metaphor of a knife to cut the tape. Yeah. And, and that's how they used to do like video editing. But it's that's one design direction. But then you look at like the script and they're like, oh, we're, we're, like transcription technology is getting way better. And it's, oh, what if you just edited the transcript and that edited the audio? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah. And that feels like design direction, like interaction design, where it's just like a PM just like, hey, we need to collect all this like data from a customer to give them a fintech product. Like you're applying for a loan. Oh, we could just give them like an application. That's just some form fields and stuff. Or you look at like a firm, they have you create an account and then they have you shop on a, a like on a website. They like, so they're like a marketplace interaction design. Instead of being like, oh, apply for a firm. And then they're like, no, they integrated with the, P, the point of sale of a bunch of different merchants. And uh -huh. then the interaction design is that they're just a payment option at the end of the at the end of the tunnel, and they and then, oh yeah, yeah, and yeah. then they underwrite the loan based off how much the item is, and that's the that's how they understand risk, and that they just they like underwrite every uh -huh. time they loan money to you, and it's tied to a transaction, like instead of doing like a traditional like loan in a credit card sort of way where it's like the typical like application design. And then you get a decision and then you have to take that like approval for like X amount of like money to the X limit, like a credit card. They just chose a different design direction. And now people are like, oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah they don't use the Affirm app to apply for financing. They use the Affirm app to shop at places where there's a firm. And like, I feel like that's the digital strategy side, but yeah. is there anything else I'm missing? Yeah. Yeah. That's like, yeah, like interesting. I And I would wonder like to, to your like your earlier point, like, and I don't know the firm story very well. Like how, what was the interplay between like, yeah, design and product for something like that? Because right? you're do, doing several things differently, kind of like breaking old patterns and assumptions, which is really cool. Yeah. It's, it, yeah. It's breaking old patterns and assumptions. It's like, who came up with the idea? I'd imagine it's the design team that recommended like the script. It's like, I look at the script or like proxy, research products yeah. like Dovetail where like the product, mm. the craft of the UI is so well executed. It, or like Figma, there's like this incremental value in every little, even the tiniest interactions. <laughs> like they, they make your life better with just a tiny little update on one thing. I think it's like a really good product manager, like seeing like an opportunity and then allowing designers to sweat the small stuff and not trying to cut yeah. things out to reach deadlines. So- That'd be, Yeah, go ahead, <laughs> sorry. Sorry, I, sometimes I rant and then it's yeah. like, okay, where do we no, go no. from here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. So what else is, what else is product strategy? Like, uh, yeah. Okay. So one of the interesting things I, I've been doing, one of the interesting things I've been doing over the year is, is since I've, I'm, a, I'm formally a researcher now, since I'm in, in, on the research team for the last year, I've been having a similar kind of thing where I'm talking to different researchers, different, slightly different areas of the field and stuff like that between qual and quant and getting an idea of, okay, what is research and where, like, where are the, what does a researcher do versus what does a designer do or a marketer do? And I think you were touching on some of that earlier as well as like sometimes as a de like design strategist or as well, like a staff designer, maybe you're not as you, you don't have to be like, we have to do research for this because I'm a researcher and that's what I do. More like, like understanding, okay, what do we need to, what tools we do we need to use to learn for this question? And that might be different than this other question. Yeah, so my here's my question. Actually, I remember we tried to set up a conversation and you're like, oh, I'm going on a, a business trip. Was that a research trip? Oh, it, it was not. Oh, I can't remember what, what that. Do you facilitate research trips? For your I have in the past. I haven't recently. I'm still crawling out of the work from home mindset, <laughs> but those are always my favorite. You were on a research trip recently. Yeah. That's why I'm like extra confused because it's, oh, <laughs> so you're a design researcher. And I'm like, I just do enough research until I feel like there's enough clarity. And then I'll 
do the design work afterwards. So I'm like, ah, oh, that's tough. Cause I'm like, I don't like the idea of just exclusively doing research. Like I, I see mm-hmm. research as a tool. So yeah, recently I did like a 10 day tour through like Mexico because a lot of our customers are down there and I speak Spanish that's cool. and that's one of, one of the reasons why I got like the role was like, oh, I could like facilitate customer interviews in Spanish. And it was like Tijuana for a couple of days to work with like our fulfillment team. We have an office down there. And then it was Guadalajara, Guadalajara to Guanajuato, Mexico, like the Bajio region, which is like Guanajuato, San Miguel de Allende. And we just visited farms in between, like we were driving. It was a long trip. That's awesome. Uh-huh. Like two, two to three farms a day. Just wow. asking them like questions about their workflow and like how they interact with like, current produce pay, like observing where everything happens. And I like went, I saw like a greenhouse, yeah. like a big greenhouse operation that produces like the bell peppers and tomatoes for like, Costco. So like I saw wow the packages that i'm like oh i recognize those packages and then it was like puebla and then mexico city but it was a really long trip but i was like oh i love doing those trips i'm like but i don't want to do them all the time i'm not always like Uh going out to research and also not every problem needs to be solved with research when you could actually if it's like low enough risk you could just design something and build it and ship it right like i just don't know where like research yeah Yeah, i'm just curious to see like how research fits into that staff role when you're not you don't want to be like a full-time researcher, but you still want to do research. That's how I got into research, so to speak. Like I, so I, I worked many years at IDEO and it's very product-based or project-based, right? So you put together a project team and you do all the parts of the design process. So s- similarly there, right? Depending on the project, some projects had a full-time kind of researcher on there. Some projects didn't because the nature of kind of what exploration you needed to do to do the design was different, but that's how I picked up kind of research skills and discovered that the same way, like I I like to do, I like to uncover what the customers see, what the customers are doing versus what they'll say in a survey. I like to go and break assumptions right there, right? Oh, we thought people would do X in real life. They're, they're not, they're doing this other thing. And to be able to see that there, but similarly, and this is why I still call myself a design strategist or a design and research strategist or whatever. As I've talked to different people in research as well, there's, there's, there are definitely teachers who enjoy much more that kind of the research aspect of being able to understand a problem deeply and stop at the point where they, where they are able to share this fresh understanding of the world. The, I think one of the design strategist skills is that so what skill, right? Like some researchers have it, some researchers yeah. don't, some designers have it, some don't, or some don't care, but like that, so what? Okay, we learned we learn this new stuff about our customers. So what do we do about it? What does it mean for us? Both in terms of getting excited about, oh, this is what we got to do. And also like in terms of like being able to understand like how you re- like how you need to communicate what's coming out of your research in a way that makes sense to the to to the design side and if, if you're like on both sides that's a little easier right if you're <laughs> yeah if you're the one that's both taking like the learnings and now prioritizing okay from a design point of view this is what we need to do or these are the ways we need to think about it yeah i love that that's like a great synthesis of like a staff you know it's funny that you said that because i i have this like presentation i've been refining about abductive reasoning which is really like what design thinking is right is it's making abductions rather than inductions or deductions and so i've been because i've realized that like every time i share everyone's like huh i never heard of abductive reasoning yeah and i haven't heard somebody say that in years (laughs) yeah i I have a bookmark somewhere to like a john colco report on something that yeah exactly I, i i've just been I've been presenting this multiple times, like at like design boot camps cool. or like schools and stuff. And I always start off like the process of explaining what like abductive reasoning is and how design activity, design thinking activities encourage abduction, abductive reasoning to avoid like bias and stuff like that. And I always put, oh, so you have a research artifact. Now what? <laughs> so perfect. Like, yeah. So what? Yeah. Cool. You talk to customers. So what? Yeah, that's yeah. From a researcher perspective, that's a common pain point, right? Yeah. Yeah. How do you make the next part of the org take action on this? 
and part of that as as a designer to to understand like yeah how, how do you translate those interesting new thoughts into what do we have to do about it how does this impact us yeah because i don't want to get i don't want to write research reports like <laughs> that doesn't because it's like you give a research report to someone they might go in a completely wrong direction on design direction so That's you an like interesting point yes <laughs> it's like what happened so much so i'm just so and i think in the research like industry of design researchers you just hear complaints of like oh like no one uses my research they're like oh cool thanks and then they just do what they their biases tell them to do this is great okay, let's do like a Domino's pizza tracker experience or something. And it's like, well, that's a terrible design direction. And I did not know that you worked at IDEO. 13 years is... Uh, Many projects, yeah. Yeah, wow. I Man, I wish I learned that earlier in the interview because I would have talked to you more <laughs> about it. Yeah, because like, IDEO is like more of like a he heady, like theoretical design. Like I read, when I read books from like people from IDEO or frog design, it's like a ton of concept mapping. It's like using the right design thinking methodology to bridge a gap in understanding at certain parts so that's what i think like design strategy is it's more of like, oh like a conceptual gap in the team okay let's run an exercise yeah it's it sounds better as a case study but in, in real life it's probably like more what you and i do it's kind of like oh let's try this and you try it's like okay that didn't give me a so what let's try this other way of looking at okay that gives me more more of a clear idea okay, these 10 things are interesting, but these are the two that are important, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Or it's just like, oh, okay, I I interviewed some customers. Okay, I don't have a so what yet. Okay, let's affinity diagram or let's transcribe these and mark up the transcriptions to see like patterns. Okay, I have some patterns, but this isn't giving me a so what. All right, let's do some story mapping to see like potential ideas from these opportunities. Or I like the Teresa Torres stuff where you map out opportunities and then you like do like assumption risk mapping. But it's almost like it's like a multi-step process to create like a higher fidelity of clarity step-by-step. Step. And that, yeah. yeah. And, and you're just curating different ways of approaching it. It's like, I think we need a research trip, but I don't want to be like, I'm not a researcher. I'm not like, a, that's not my full job. I just, this problem right. needs a research trip. That's know? great. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a great case, right? It's, I'm not a researcher, but I feel we need a research trip. And I'm not going to let the fact that I'm not a researcher stop us from having that research trip. Right? Like, yeah, like having enough like breadth of thought to be able to understand, okay, this might be helpful right now. Let's do this. And it's okay that it doesn't fall under my this, this, the strict confines of my job title. Yeah. And but, it's, uh, but I'm imagining like it, it also takes the support of your leadership, right? To be able to say, oh, okay, Caden thinks we need a research trip. Let's do a research trip. Yeah. And I think in my personal case, like we saw, like I have a really good research competency. And so the idea was, oh, Caden would be like, set up a research practice. But then I'm like, yeah, but I don't want to just do reports. I, like, yeah, like I want research, but I actually want to influence the design direction based off those reports. I want to synthesize into so what? Because I, this is going to sound like ego, but I'm like, some people just really suck at it. Some people are just really good at craft and <laughs> that's what they should focus on, but they need like real. They need like real like rails of, hey, this is like the design direction. This is like maybe like you do like a user environment document to show like, okay, like in this, like in this part of the flow, like these are, this is the metadata we're showing. You figure out how to do the visual hierarchy of this metadata or something like that. Like some people need it, but yeah, like more and more I'm like struggling to fit in a box and I'm just like, okay, whenever I go into a new job, I have to design my job from day one so. yeah which yeah which is both a blessing and a curse right uh-huh yeah it, it's hard because it's if like recruiters are reaching out and they're like hey senior designer and i'm like oh would i just be on the squad and they're like mm -hmm. yeah and i'm like i i'm not, i just got out of squad work like why would i i can't just like go and plug in anywhere anymore like without making sure it's the right role it's, it's hard you basically, yeah. you wrote, you wrote, you wrote to me like in LinkedIn before this interview that like design strategy is like its own competency. So it's confusing how we use it, to it. but it's just more of, it's like yeah. design research for many years and just being a T-shaped designer. It's just, it's more of a characteristic of the designer rather than an actual skill. <laughs> I think, 
Yeah, I think, yeah, I think it is, right? Like, because like you're saying before, and I, I know some like visual designers who are just like all about the craft, right? And they're, they're not so concerned about, okay, how do I bring different parties together to do this? Or how do I, tra how do I translate what I hear from research into direction or for this? Yeah, and but their senior level ICs, they know there's they they know their stuff, but it's in a yeah they're more like deep in their T versus broad in their T. So and more and they're probably like prioritizing like micro interactions. They're like, oh, I want to create this emotional effect. Or I want to provide this level of clarity to the user. Oh, let's use like some motion to draw yeah, attention. Like, maybe that's Amazing. that's probably what it is, right? I don't have I don't have a lot of that 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 nuance for things like that. Like I'm terrible at color. I understand like what makes color work in a design. It's just, I just don't get it. I like, if I see something that's great, it's, oh, I like that, but I can tell you why. But there are people that are super good at it, right? And yeah, want them to and, be able to flourish in that. And if you just give them like a good, like interaction design direction, they'll be like, cool, I'll figure out how to make this real. <laughs> in the UI. I, I just have just one more question. Do you feel like there's anything that hasn't been said that needs to be said before we sign off? That's it. Like my, my, my one of my personal kind of things that flags I'm trying to wave for designers these days, uh -huh. talking about design strategy is I'm going to try it out with you to see how it goes. And I can see your face so I can see how it works. Like that your customer is not in Figma, right? Hey, designers, Figma is a great tool, but make sure you get out of Figma too. Right, going to see your customers in, in Mexico, all that stuff where you're like, the stuff we do on screen is important to them, but that's not where that's not where they are. You gotta understand what they're trying to do. So <laughs> yeah. make sure that's part of your design process, be, be broader than just the flows and Figma. I think the and I'm gonna just make a broad brushstroke statement, but I feel like design strategists, and I think that's why there's like the service design competency, but I do feel like the more senior you get in even product design, like digital stuff, you're less concerned. You're agnostic about how you deliver the value. If you could do it through really good engineering and not show any UI, I think a really senior designer could articulate like why that's a better design direction than making a screen. Yeah. And I've seen like designers freak out that's Hey, like what, do we even have any work here? And I'm like, there's plenty of work to do. And they're like, yeah, but there's no screens. It's like, we're using like a bot off the shelf tool. And I'm like, think about like how the APIs would like hook up, like maybe like a notification strategy. And they're like, their brains are blown because we can't do it in Figma easily. And yeah, yeah I think that's what makes a, someone more like senior is like, you, you consider all, you consider like, Hey, how's this interact? You're agnostic of the solutions until you frame the problem and you define the problem. And you define like what needs to happen before you start deciding, Hey, do we need more screens? I totally agree with you. That's the customer isn't in Figma. The customer might not be using your self-service tools. They might be talking to a salesperson, which is the case of. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's a good, you got to know all the channels. They're not using your, they're not using your website and a lot of B2B cases. That's Okay. A lot of the people we interviewed on our trip to Mexico, they're the CEOs or like the head of operations or the CFO. Are they the ones actually going to be using the tool? Okay. We got to do some more, more follow-up research of the people that are actually going to be using our, to help fulfill our services. Like they probably have a team that yeah. they use to like work with us. Oh I'll, yeah. I love that comment. I wish we could keep talking more. Hey, I might just do a part two. I did two parts with JB. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Be happy to. I got to catch up with JB, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Sounds good. But hey, Larry, thanks for coming on the show. You have a good one. Thanks. You too. Have a good one. Hey, listener. Thanks again for listening to The Way of Product. As we power down today's session on the fusion of creativity and technology, let's solidify the energy you've gotten from our dialogue today. If you've gleaned insights or strategies that could turbocharge your projects, I have a small but powerful ask. Swing by the platform where you're hearing this and leave a review. Think of it as your digital high five to us. It's a fuel that propels this content to more creative technologists like you, amplifying the impact of the shared knowledge. So until our next interview, keep pioneering and pushing the envelope. Thanks again for lending your ears and your imagination to our community. Catch you on the next download. Today's episode is sponsored by Alchemy, a name you might not be familiar with yet, but one you'll definitely want to remember. Here's why. 
You know, most meetings can be a drain, right? Well, I was tired of that, tired of good energy getting sucked out of potentially explosive creative sessions. So I decided to do something about it. That's why I started Alchemy. Think of Alchemy as a special ops team of collaboration. We're the ones you call for remote or on-site workshops when you need to get your product team aligned and moving without the usual drag. No more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. So no more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. I've been there, stuck in the muck of misalignment, watching the clock while create, watching the clock while creativity fizzles out. That's not how breakthroughs happen. That's why alchemy workshops are built differently. They're the antidote for common. They're the antidote. Anecdote. They're the antidote. That's why alchemy. That's why alchemy workshops are built differently. They're the antidote to the common meeting. And because I believe in the power of what we're doing, I'm offering a special to Wave Proc listeners, especially you who listened all the way to the end. If your team's feeling stuck, let's talk. I'm opening up my calendar for free 25-minute coaching calls to audit your team's collaboration issues. We dissect the problem areas. In that call, we'll dissect the problem it. In that call, we'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to get you unlocked. And in that call, we'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to get you unblocked and back in the flow. Think of it as a turbo boost for your team's productivity. So here's what you do. Visit wayofproduct.com forward slash workshops. Get all the details, sign up for your free coaching call, and let's start turning those meeting groans into high fives. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Thanks for listening to today's episode. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Let's And thanks again for listening to today's episode. All right, I'll let you get back to your day. Uh, all right, I'll talk to you soon. And remember, with Alchemy, it's not just a meeting, it's a turning point. Is everyone gone yet? Because this next offer is for you. And this is because you listened all the way to the end of this episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Alchemy, a name you might not be familiar with yet, but one you'll definitely want to remember. I don't know about you, but most meetings are terrible. Long circular discussions, weeks with no progress. I was tired of that. Tired of good energy getting sucked out of potentially explosive creative sessions. So I finally decided to do something about it. That's why I started Alchemy. Think of Alchemy as a special ops for team collaboration. We're the ones you call for remote or on-site workshops where you need to get your product team aligned and moving without the usual drag. No more endless circles or feeling like you're herding cats. I've been there. I've been stuck in the muck of misalignment, watching the clock while creativity just fizzles out. That's not how breakthroughs happen. Alchemy workshops are built differently. They are the cure to the common meeting. And because I believe in the power of what we're doing, I'm offering something special to Wave Product listeners. If your team's feeling stuck, let's talk. I'm opening my calendar for free 25-minute coaching calls to audit your team's collaboration issues. We'll dissect the problem areas and I'll share techniques and tactics tailored to your situation to help you get unblocked and back in the flow. Think of it as a turbo boost for your team's productivity. So here's what you do. Visit wayofproduct.com forward slash workshops. Get all the details, sign up for your free coaching call, and let's start turning those meeting groans into high fives. All right. Thanks for listening to the full episode. And remember, with Alchemy, it's not just a meeting, it's a turning point. Talk to you soon.